Welcome to the Cybersecurity and Cloud Podcast, the podcast where we learn from cybersecurity experts how to stay safe, private, and secure on the cloud and in code. CSCP is hosted by Francesco Cipollone, your cybersecurity friend with a passion for all things cyber and sharing stories of other professionals with you. This episode is brought to you by the generosity of Phoenix Security Limited. Phoenix helps startups and enterprises solve complex software security supply chain visibility by leveraging the power of correlation and contextualization. Discover how Phoenix Security helps CISO and security engineers act fast, prevent burnout, and implement DevSecOps at the speed of cloud. Phoenix Security. Correlate, contextualize, and act on risk with one click. Let's dive in. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Cybersecurity and Cloud Podcast. This is your host, Francesco, and today we have a discussion on something that was close to my heart during my evolution to this vulnerability management and network. How do we intersect the both? So we tried to record this, actually, to be fully honest with you guys, in the previous season, and we broke it, unfortunately. So we're here today with Michael Smith to record this again. So (laughs) we'll try to play back, but actually we evolved from that discussion and uh, we're here to discuss about this and application security and how can you misuse certain things to actually your advantage. So Michael is Phil City over Cara, but I'm not going to tell you whole spiel. Michael, welcome to the show. Tell us a bit more about you. Thank you. Thank you. So I'm, so job and title. I am the field CTO for Vercara. We just rebranded in early April. We used to be New Star Security Services, but that was kind of this vestigial name. And so we've, we've gotten rid of that. We've, we've moved to Vercara and Really, we we do DDoS mitigation. We do a lot of DNS. We do a lot of web application firewall. Okay, so me, a lot of my background, I joined the army when I was seventeen. They said, "Hey, you're pretty smart." Sent me to language school. I learned Russian and then Serbian, and I was in the intelligence field for a good eight years. Got off active duty while I was there. I was living in Germany and I taught myself Linux. So I became a really good Linux system administrator. Got off active duty, you know, messed around for a year or so, and then started doing a lot of Linux system administration. And it was the dot-com era. So it was, you know, 1999, 2000. And I started doing a lot of LAMP stack programming. Mm-hmm. Um, so it went from just Linux administration to, oh, hey, here's a database. Can you manage that? To, oh, hey, we need some web forms built. So true to form, I built a lot of very good, technically accurate, but very, very ugly web applications. <laughs> I like yeah. how you picture it, like very accurate, but very ugly. Because it, it, it's, nice and today, I still trouble. do that. Yeah. So I still do that. I do slides. I do white papers. I do things like that that are very accurate, but very, very ugly. That's why I have marketing people to make it pretty. Okay. <laughs> but I did that. And then the dot-com era crashed. And I said, okay, so... I've got this background in security, different kinds of security, right? So ranging from physical security to network intelligence or radio intelligence, different kinds of things. And so I said, look, I either need to move to California or DC. And two weeks later, I had a job in DC writing <laughs> security documents. So, so I worked my way up through, it did lots of crossover between engineering, security management, program management, GRC, did a lot of slices of that and just basically worked my way up from position to position. Nice. 
So you you've right. seen you've seen a lot of field in cyber. Why did you pivot in that field? Like what's like instead of being a programmer and keep on being like developing cool stuff and building cool stuff with ugly interfaces, what what made you steer towards the security? Well, it's it's where demand is. So you can you can influence a lot more things and help people solve problems, right? So what I was running into a lot was engineering teams. So not even software engineering teams sometimes, but also just system integration teams. Mm -hmm. right? And they get to this point where they were like, hey, we want to build this thing. And the security team would come along and say, no, we can't do that because well, it's in the government space. So because physics is the right or they say no right like oh we can't do that and like well why why can't we do wireless you know this is 2006 people um, say no <laughs> yeah and so and so i found out that it like i could help people because i can absorb the the regulations and policy and stuff like that and then i could turn around and help guide them through that process to say okay like let's like how do we actually get to yes on this mm -hmm. you know and in the government it's funny because you can come in and say okay how do i get your people to work with these people right and they're like oh that's no problem you could talk to my people anytime I'm like okay that's not what they've been saying for the past six months but okay but you just told them in a room full of people that that was okay so i worked worked on that did a bunch of stuff i was a compliance officer for for tsa's embedded device program so I did nice. a lot of IoT security. And again, same kind of problem, right? Like we've got a device, I called them toasters, but we've got a device, it's not an IT device, but we attached a computer to it to do data acquisition. And we connected that computer to a network. So the compliance people, rightly so, come along and say, hey, you're connecting to the network, here are our rules. And we said, okay, well, we can't, do some of these things right like patch patch a scanner <laughs> right? like, patch an HL you machine <laughs> you can but it's a little bit different right what you're looking at you manage it more like you do firmware upgrades mm -hmm. and you have six months of functional testing so being able to explain that and work in that world and help move that along helped out a lot and it was like some simple stuff like we have a device go talk to the manufacturer, show them what we test for, basically give them all of our, our security testing that we do so that way they can perform that inside of their QA process. So by the time that they deliver a device to us, it'll get a first time pass mm -hmm. on security. Testing, okay. And the reason for that is because if there's six months of functional testing, right? Like you're trying to find bombs. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so if you make a change, you do an engineering change, which is like a electronic engineering or, or even like detection algorithms. If you make a functional change, it takes six months of testing to make sure that it still oper operates and you can still do the thing that you should before you can deliver an item. So if they bring something to us and it fails a security test, then it's another six months before you can actually have equipment that they deliver that you can buy. So but trying that's to not how we that build up. software, but that's not how we build software. It's not how we build software, but when you build hardware devices, that's what you have to do. Right. Yeah. So it takes a lot, lot longer to make changes in hardware. And so 
it was like yeah it was iot it was it was shift left you know lots of the concepts from devsec with this you know kind of a waterfall delivery model that they had (laughs) it's physical devices right you You can't touch it something that is like it's a lot harder to do iterative cycles when it's hardware and that's what we Um, have such a challenge in the I, I believe in the regulation against OT and IoT to this like operational technology and traditional patch management is very, very different if you have something buried in the middle of the sea, a SCADA device in the middle of the sea, or uh, an MRI machine, or even uh, yeah. a TSA or, or like a bomb detector yeah. or, or anything else that, that nowadays is connected, has a machine, has network information, has data. Yeah, exactly. And then I think the the last one, and then we'll we can talk vulnerabilities and stuff. I left that that program doing all the IoT pieces, and I went to Akamai. I worked for Akamai for a good ten years, including running their incident response team from 20, 2012 through twenty fifteen, um, and then I went to Asia and I was the the regional CTO for security. So interesting time there when I was running CSERT because we were basically doing threat intelligence. Like, what are the bad guys doing? What does that look like? How does that stack up against us? Understanding that our scope of service was protecting web applications, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So normally CSERT, you're dealing with, you know, user went to a bad site, they got their laptop phone. So we, we you know, clean that up. Our scope was specifically let's look at web application attacks and DDoS attacks, okay? It's like a mice um, an aggregator of, of data and, and handle vulnerability for basically half of the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. has a lot it, of intelligence. Has a lot of intelligence, more, more data than they know what to do with. Mm-hmm. So we did the intelligence side, which was how do we actually detect and block stuff? And then we also managed incidents that were big incidents. So for instance, Thanksgiving, right? Which was 20, no, it was Thanksgiving of 2014. That's a US thing, I get it. But November of 2014, one of the widgets that you add to your website, they got compromised and the attackers put up, you know, you do a JavaScript include mm-hmm. from, from this, this service. And the attackers put in their own JavaScript was, was basically overwrite the website. It, they just used document write and replace the entire website with, in this case, it was the Syrian electronic army. So they put their logo there. So by compromising one service, widget. yep, one widget provider, they were able to infect, you know, a hundred different large news sites and deface them all in, in one day. So what was that? That what was define what was that? No, no, when when was that? When it was it was in November of 2014. Mm. Because that was when was the colonial pipeline and the whole so that was 20 that was more recent. That was more 21? recent. Yeah, that was a lot more recent. Yeah. yeah, I think solar wind and the colonial pipeline actually really kick off the host nest on, on digital supply chain, but we had incident and issue. Like, yeah, uh, maybe not as malicious then, as then, we had. And then there was Log4j or Log4Shell. Exactly. They all came in a yeah. sequence of, of things. But I think 
solo win was probably the more malicious one and the one that kicked the horse nest. But we had we had Strat in the past. We had Open SSL, Heartbleed, and, and others that give us a good serious care. Yeah, my friend, my friend Andy Ellis, he dressed up for Thanksgiving one year as the year, <laughs> the year of vulnerabilities. So he had he had a turtle shell, he had a poodle head that he wore, he had like he had a big, big red heart that he put that was, you know, the heart ring. So he yeah, he he came as the the year of vulnerabilities for things for uh, I need to... Halloween. I need to I need to do a costume like that, even though it might be only understood in our circle of black cats. And <laughs> yes, is correct. Yes, yeah, yeah. It was a that was a pretty crazy year. I think that was twenty thirteen. Yeah, we seem anyway. to go. We we seems to go in waves and then forget about software. I think that that's where always got kicked off, and I think right now just hit the threshold, and now we we all of a sudden realize. Oh, by the way, the whole world runs on software. That's that's secure our supply chain. <laughs> yeah, and so and so people have been focusing a lot on that, like, you know, what who's has access to what and what is our software made of? Mm-hmm. I mean, we like like come on, we've known about this stuff for years and years and years. So back in 2016, 2017, I was a security officer for a managed security provider. Right. Manage so manage SOC, manage NOC, right. manage data. And like we knew, like, hey, wait a minute, we have access to this customer, this customer, this customer. Why? Because we'll, we have to go make changes. Right. We knew all about that. And we're like, well, we can't really think about that because, you know, it's scary. Uh, that kills our business model. Yeah. And so we tried to manage, we tried to manage access the best that we could, you know, using jump boxes, restricting a lot of access. Mm-hmm. But it's different but if yeah, the code I, is in the code. It's different if your access is inside the code and is voluntarily given like Log4j and another supply chain or, or CICD provider. Or like there is a whole paranoia right now about uh, after the CICD incident with CircleCI of like keys and other access tokens that we directly yep. inject a third party. And I think this has been... Also been discussing this with Jeff and a few other RASP or dynamic application testing. And there is a whole debate right now of like, yeah. do you need dynamic application testing? Do you need IAST? That is really advanced. It is really precise, but also give you access to client memory. <laughs> that sometimes is even worse. Yeah, uh, but this, you know what? This isn't anything new. We've had exactly no, the no. same conversation about antivirus software right like antivirus software runs it as an administrator on the operating system because it has to access everything but then because it accesses everything then you can also target it i think we went through a cycle of traditional infrastructure security and, and stresses in that that right now we i mean that area like accessing through a network and bypassing a firewall is not that easy and we we became good at that, but we forgot the whole software part of it. So that became the soft kind of tissue that people or attackers start realizing, well, actually, instead of like compromising tons of system and trying to bypass a firewall, why don't we punch a hole on the website and install a widget or social engineer somebody? And, you know, when two or three, four attack happen and succeed, it's like, yay, that's an easy entry. Yeah, and even, even beyond that, the thing with with hacks giving right is well the attackers couldn't 
attack the website directly. The website, like they'd attack the web, their target website numerous times, had success, and the, the target got smarter and smarter and smarter. So they weren't even attacking the actual target. They were attacking a provider. It's a widget provider, but still it's a provider yeah. for that particular website and compromising that and then being able to actually achieve their goal by compromising a you know a widget provider. Yeah, and I think we, we got, I believe in these past couple of years, better at detecting, reacting and jumping on things because we know that that's an attack vector that is highly compromisable. Yep. regardless of where they come from. This episode is brought to you by the generosity of Phoenix Security Limited. Phoenix helps startups and enterprises solve complex software security supply chain visibility by leveraging the power of correlation and contextualization. Phoenix platform connects to your repositories, scanners, and cloud, correlates all the information, and provides you with a prioritized list of vulnerabilities that need to be addressed first. Discover how Phoenix Security helps CISOs and developers remove friction and maximize the use of DevSecOps professionals at phoenix.security. Phoenix Security. Correlate, contextualize, and act on risk with one click. I want to pivot in the conversation a little bit on, okay, we know the vulnerability, we know attacker, we know traditional attackers, but how can somebody compromise things or be a, you know, be more malicious with the vulnerability? Can you cause a DDoS attack leveraging a specific vulnerability or saturate memory? Or what can you do other than traditional um, vulnerability attack or, or, or access to system? Yeah, so something something I've looked at a lot, when I've seen it in production, and I did a lot of threat research on it over the years, and that is vulnerabilities in applications that you can then target with application layer denial of service attacks, mm -hmm. right? Some of that's a function of the roles that I've had, the role that I have today. Some of it is, oh, hey, that's a neat thing. Like, let me go look <laughs> at that. And so normally the, the DDoS mitigation folks, self-included, we normally divide things into two tiers, right? You've got network level attacks. So right. those are mm -hmm. either aimed at bandwidth saturation, right? So you just fill up the pipe fill up the pipes and then no more can go in, or you send a lot of packets per second that fills up the, the connection tracking on the router and the router just runs out of the ability to track connections, right? Mm -hmm. And then the routers roll over and die. So that's the network level DDoS, or you sometimes you'll hear it called volumetric, which is kind of a misnomer, but that's okay. I'll, you know, there will no, be no TED talk on that today. <laughs> we also have application layer attacks, okay? And normally the DDoS mitigation folks are like, oh, application layer attacks, that, that's a get flood, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, while true, while true, wget, you know, index.html, done, okay? And for, and folks, so just, and for folks that don't, that don't are in the P language, day in, day out, a get and a post is a traditional request, initiation request. So if you flood, we get a web service, like, please give me resource, give me resource, and you saturate all the channel. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and so you can uh, you can flood the web server with the number of requests. So that's it's like attacking the CPU, mm -hmm. right? So you so you send how about this? You send two hundred bytes of a request, 
and it generates a certain amount of CPU load, especially if you're doing like input validation, even web application firewalls, right? You've got a mm -hmm. lot of a lot of CPU that's used to check that 200 byte 200 byte request. So that's one way that you can cause an outage. Another way that you can cause an outage is by the web server responding with a large object, mm -hmm. right? So if I find, okay, your website has a 10 megabyte PDF, I can go hit that with a get flood and the web server will actually choke all of its bandwidth trying to return that object. Okay, so that's that's a, a leverage attack. Uh, but the thing that really fascinates me is the vulnerability side. A great example is pagination, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody sees pagination or pagination, but everybody sees that, you know it, you go to a shopping cart site and um, you search for men's t-shirt black and you get a bunch of t-shirts. And there's a, a field form, usually it's a selector or something, that is how many items to see per page, Right. okay? And the actual process of, making a trip to the database getting you know getting page one of so with so many items on it and then slicing that up into html and spitting out that out to the user that's the process of pagination mm -hmm. right but i've seen attacks in the wild where there was no input validation on that number of items per page so you could go in and put you know give Love. me nine million Give me 9 million objects per page and you can add in what we call proxy busting, which is just, you just add a random key value pair in the query string mm -hmm. to make that request unique, right? So, okay, you know, you make one request, you generate a lot of, you know, the application server goes to the database, says, give me every product that's in the database, and you gets that return, originates it, yeah, slices it up into HTML, just delivers that to the client and you've done a little bit of, you know, a little bit of stuff. Like maybe if that database is large enough, you can choke out the application server. Mm -hmm. Okay. But if I take that and give it to a bunch of bots and now, I know, yeah, now I've got, you know, a million endpoints that are now requesting that large, that large database result, that large page. I can choke out the database server, right? So you can choke out the database server, the application yeah. server, the bandwidth coming for that return object. That's a lot more of a leveraged attack, and I can do it with a small amount of bandwidth. Okay. But do you so see, that's a, do you see, but do you see the network attacks? Like I've seen a lot of like the, the network attack, the network details are quite famous, and we've seen some spike in the past. Uh, do you think this type of attack, like leverage, because they, they're sophisticated attack, there's they, not something that you traditionally script because it needs to be targeted to a specific website, to a specific yeah. vulnerability. While network level attacks or traditional vulnerability DDoS attacks are pretty generic, so can be scaled and ransom people or DDoS people actually work at scale rather than precise attack. Do you see these kind yes. of attacks? Yes and no. Okay. So yes and no. And there's there's a thing. You do this on the vulnerability side, right? That's why this is a hybrid. That's why it's absolutely interesting for me, right? Mm. We know how to play CVEs, CVEs, web vulnerability scanning, you know, virtual patching. We know how to play that game. 
We know how to play. Here's the volume we choke out your network game. This sits right in the middle there because I've Logic. actually I've had DDoS gangs. And what they do is they know that, say, there is a particular piece of shopping cart software. Mm -hmm. And they know that that shopping, shopping cart software has a pagination vulnerability that allows them to, to better do a DDoS on it. And so what they do is they go, they go Shodan for it, right? They go Google dork for it. Show me all the websites that use this particular version of that shopping cart software. And then they came in and they did this in, I saw it heavily in December, 2010 with the attackers launching a DDoS campaign in you know, November, December, peak shopping, uh, peak shopping season for right, e-commerce sites. And specifically, we could, you could see it because Google hadn't anonymized their search results yet, right? So, so today you go to Google, you, today you go to Google, you do a search, they anonymize what you were searching for in the refer when you go back to the, when you go to the page, right? You click through and you go to the page. But back in 2010, you they hadn't anonymized that yet so when you went to google you searched you click through that query string of what you search for would actually be in the refer so you could go through as a defender you could go through your web logs and say oh i see that this guy right here he was actually google dorking looking for this particular shopping cart system that we had okay yeah, you and can so we it. we saw it then it was it was a large campaign, you know, it was a month and a half long of the attackers targeting one particular shopping cart just because they knew they could they could do that particular attack. That's an interesting because and, and we're talking about widgets, so we had to mention like the, the traditional CMS that have a lot of these widgets and you know. There are tons of widgets that all of a sudden pop up with a critical vulnerability. We're getting better at even fixing those. And I've seen recently, and I was quite surprised actually, some of these CMS content management uh, service and provider actually forcing a patch of widgets or widgets that they have. Like I've seen it two or three mm -hmm. times for critical vulnerabilities. So I think yeah. maybe we learned a lesson. Yeah, maybe. Maybe there are other fun ones, though. There are other fun ones that are out there. One of my favorites lately, because, you know, APIs, <laughs> the web is now APIs. Okay. Yes. If you're expecting, you know, even dynamic HTML. Eh. Or, gra or, graph, or GraphQL. <laughs> GraphQL, right? GraphQL. GraphQL. Um, Jack, JSON, JSON. One of my favorites right now is nested JSON. Mm -hmm. Right. So if I if I submit to an API and I do JSON, that is key value pair, which contains another key value pair, which contains another. So basically you nest it down to thousands levels. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, the thing is the protections to parse it also loaded. Mm -hmm. Right. So you have to set and we do this today in our web application firewall. We've got limits on what's the largest size of the object, right? That you'll expect ex accept in the submission. How many, how deep can the nesting go? And usually like if you do like 10, 10 levels, you'll probably satisfy most. <laughs> if you go, how about this? If you have an API that goes more than 10 levels deep, what the heck are you doing? 
but (laughs) like how deep is it there are a couple others that that we actually checked oh the maximum number of uh the maximum number of uh children in that in that for each parent in the hierarchy Mm -hmm. there are a bunch of different validations you can do before you give that to before you load that in and and accept it into memory right Right. Uh, And and so that's that's like my favorite, my favorite child today is that one. Speaking right. out. And what about, I'm going to, I'm going to take a completely different tangent. How about filtering out BT requests and other stuff like proxying out or filtering out requests that come from specific LLM because that's the other hot, super hot topic thing. That's interesting. I haven't seen that. Well, I've seen a couple of, know. I've seen a couple I'm, of things. I don't that, know if I've seen that. Right. Yeah, I've seen a couple of things that, that put proxy for LLM or actually filter out specific keywords out of specific requests to LLM so that you can kind of sanity yeah. check either out or in the information. Yeah. And I've been I've been fighting scraping bots for a long time mm-hmm. in various, you know, various levels of success, various techniques, various types of bots. We saw it I, I saw it a long, long time ago with people that were doing translation bots mm-hmm. and what they would do is they would go to and they go to large international large international retail sites okay and they would look at the english version of a product then they look at the italian version of a product they look at the brazilian portuguese version of a product they look at the spanish version of the product because some human went in and translated it right. so then they yeah. would they would actually come in scrape the site get every language possible from that site and then use that to feed their their translation algorithms okay so with stuff like that you won't necessarily you won't be able to discriminate that and say okay that's chat gpt or that's you know translation software or that's something a lot of times you don't know you just mm-hmm. know that there's a scraper of some kind that's requesting a particular volume but it's incredibly hard to go from i see discrete requests right individual discrete requests into a pattern but i don't necessarily know what the what's the intent of the person running that bot right right so you know are they are they feeding are they feeding ai models eh. are they just dumping it into a database eh. i can't really tell i can maybe sometimes look at the pattern of what they're requesting right which is how i know that they're this guy is loading different languages you can sometimes see from the pattern but a lot of times you can't mm. And on the opposite side, on on the client side of things, like requests going out, like blocking a completely GPT, but actually becoming the proxy of actually specific words or keywords of requests. So looking inside your traditional HTTP request and being a proxy or a filter of of those things that goes to any LLM. Yes. Yep. Because that's, um, that's yeah, the that's, other trending thing. Yeah, that's interesting for other other reasons we could have another we could have another ted talk on that probably an extended it could be an extended ted talk but that is evasion this is interesting to me because we have a filtering dns resolver service okay that has 
a bunch of different things, but it's got, you know, the big data science piece behind it to actually detect like malware, phishing, mm -hmm. ransomware, mm -hmm. like all these things. And one of the big things that I'm looking at a lot is things like domain fronting, proxies inside of applications. Domain fronting is basically the fact that your DNS resolution is different from your TLS certificate, which is different from the HTTP host header. Mm. So you can mm. do, if you have multiple resources on the same server, say with this content delivery network or some kind of proxy, you can tunnel traffic by lying at each of these three layers. Okay. So, and it's, it's good and it's bad, right? You can use that to in evade censorship way. in your country. Okay. And there are, there is software that allows you to evade censorship and oppressive regimes. Mm -hmm. Okay. I won't name them by name, but they're like, I know they're, they're out there. It's not just the obvious one. There are other ones that are out there. And they use all these techniques and that's considered a good thing. But then also if I'm an attacker and I've, I have some kind of a foothold inside of an enterprise environment, I can also use those same techniques in order to sneak my traffic out. Right. So when it comes to, I go to a, a website. Yeah. There's yeah, a well. fine line between uh, a good hack that is bypassing kind of restriction regulation because Every developer is a hacker at heart uh, versus mm -hmm. a malicious way to use something. And, and I used to joke always with my devs that, you know, ultimately it's, it's a very fine line between being a hacker and hacker is actually a good word. It just got maliciously intent after a while, but actually trying to find way around things. Yeah, that's why I I used to think for all you, for all the D&D nerds, we're all there. I used to think I was chaotic good, but in the past couple of years, I think I've I've changed my mind, and now I describe myself as chaotic neutral. And for the <laughs> same thing, right? It's like, the shift left. It's the shift left of D and D. It's shift left. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, it could I be. Have to know that. <laughs> Wouldn't that be the shift right? But anyway, um, evil, evil like, is right or left? Usually on the right. But anyway, I call these dual use technologies, right? And it it's things like a brick, right? You have a brick. Well, you could use a brick to attack somebody, right? You know, break somebody's windows out, or you could use a brick to build a house, mm -hmm. right? And then you look at all the other things that we do, vulnerability scanners. You can use them to fix problems, or you could use them to identify things that you want to attack. You know, Nmap fits in there. There's a bunch of different things. And I actually was in a, in a meeting like, like years and years ago, and they rolled out, you know, the Unix guy. And he said, look, I just have one question to ask, you know, so we did our like, you know, customer presentation and all that stuff. He's like, look, I just have one word to ask or one thing to ask, which is how do I know that it's not you that's attacking us to get us to buy your product? Right. And you're like, <laughs> well, and there's not really only one answer to that, which is you look them straight in the eyes and you say, it's not me because I'm too pretty to go to jail. Right. <laughs> that should be the, the the line of every hacker. <laughs> yeah, right. It's it's not me. I think I yeah. I think I would allow people to adopt that, but that goes back to okay. What you have the ability to do this? Do you use that for good or do you use that for evil, or you just use it for chaos? Right. Like I think there's... that's another that's another tech talk. But uh, I'm afraid we we come we come towards time and. Yeah. 
I want to leave everybody like we have a tradition here, Michael, that is leaving everybody with a warm and fuzz feeling. We discuss about a lot of malicious stuff or or good stuff that could be used for evil. Let's let's leave everybody with a chaotic good feeling. I think that the big positive thing is that in this industry we spend a lot of time managing chaos. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right. It's just like we have the big chaos engine and you turn the crank and sometimes a nice cute kitty comes out and sometimes it's a tiger that tries to eat you. Okay. The positive thing there is by talking to each other, learning from each other, just like we have with all of these vulnerabilities that we've dealt with. We learn, we learn from each other. Everybody has their area of specialization and you know, maybe nobody wants to hear about, you know, your your mastery of Log4j until there's a vulnerability in Log4j and then suddenly you become the expert on it. <laughs> I there, got two or three guys that became the, famous overnight. <laughs> yeah. The, the nature of this industry is that we have to collaborate, right? Mm-hmm. And and collaboration is really the only way to to get this thing done. Okay. So that's my positive note, right? Like talk to each other, go to local conferences, help each other out whenever you can, because you never know when somebody will have the amount of knowledge that you need to actually solve a problem that you have. So good karma out, good karma in and stay connected to the rest of the world. Michael, thank you very much for coming on the show. If somebody wants to find more about what you do or where you write, a lot of this geeking out, do you have a blog? Do you have a aside where you collect your talks. Yeah. So so here's the thing. My name is Michael Smith. So good luck. My company is Vercara. So V-E-R-C-A-R-A. So you can find, you know, the usual suspects, Vercara.com. You can go to LinkedIn. You can find Vercara. Then you can click on employees. You can find me there. I do a lot of stuff on the Vercara blog lately, just managing WAF, managing um, DDoS attacks, dealing with DNS, both recursive and authoritative. So I'm writing a lot of stuff and putting it out and I'm trying to do a lot more how-to content and and explanations and screenshots. So I've got a bunch queued up already that are, that are coming out over the next couple of months. Fantastic. And we're going to have the link in the uh, blog and the link to your LinkedIn profile. So people go click follow because it's quite an interesting and actually, to be fair with you, not well discussed topics that pass because everybody talking about the traditional vulnerability management, but nobody talks about EDOS using vulnerability or leveraging this vulnerability. This is out there. So thank you so much for coming on the show and everybody go dig your work see if you have if you find anything out of today's conversation in your log and have fun with it thank you we hope you enjoyed today's episode please leave us a review on apple podcast and post it on social media tagging Cybersecurity cloud podcast for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Discover other episodes at www.cybersecuritypodcast.com.